We hold as believers that the coming of Jesus was the most significant event in all of human history. And so we're looking at different aspects of, of Jesus' life as we get nearer to Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Christ. So last week, we looked at the birth of Jesus and talked about how that showed he was the Messiah, the, the king whom the Jewish people were waiting for. Today, I want to think about his miracles and the things that, that he did in, during his life that, that showed who he really was. And I actually want to start with a Santa Claus movie. In fact, the movie called Santa Claus. I, uh, Tim Allen was a, uh, an interesting person to choose to play a, a Santa Claus effort. And so I, I will still always think of him as Tim the Tool Man. But he, he becomes Santa Claus when, well, he's in his house and Santa Claus falls off the roof. And, well, let's just say he cannot continue the journey that evening. And so Tim puts on the suit, and in putting on the suit, he gains the privileges and powers of Santa and completes the delivery of all the packages on Christmas Eve. And there's a little uh, fine uh, print in the, the, the little suit that says, basically, by putting on the suit, he becomes Santa Claus. And so for 11 months of the year, you know, he finishes that night, and then 11 months of the year, he'll live his normal life. And then in that last month, he has to take on the role of Santa Claus, which leads to problems because he's, his normal life's a lawyer, and then all of a sudden, things start changing for him, and the people, of course, don't believe he's Santa Claus, and um, there's a lot of skepticism, and it all works out, but... But here's the, the thing. I, I don't know if you watch this movie, and there's a lot of movies like this, where you're like, if, why doesn't he just use his Santa powers, right? As Santa, he can do all these things. Why doesn't he just use this Santa miraculous powers to convince everyone, yeah, he really is Santa after all? It would just make things go a lot easier if he would just, you know, show off a little bit. And so that was my thought during that movie. Well, let's apply that to Jesus. If you've read the Gospels, or maybe even just know from it, Jesus does a lot of amazing miracles. He could do things that are incredible. He's got powers. Why doesn't Jesus, why didn't Jesus use his miracles to convince the crowd, to convince the skeptics to believe in him? Is it because he's shy? Right? Is he, well, you know, I don't want to, you know. Is, is that the problem? Does he not want to draw attention to himself? He, maybe he lacks confidence. You know, Jesus just doesn't want to, you know, step out there. You know, maybe he's not sure he could do a miracle. What, what's going on? I mean, if Jesus is the Son of God and he could do these amazing things, why not use those miracles to bring the kingdom of God? Like, that would be a heck of a lot easier. Interestingly... That's the question the devil asked Jesus as well. We're going to get to that, but before Jesus starts doing miracles, that's the question he has to face from God's enemy, Satan, um, during his, his temptation time. So know this, is Jesus' birth was miraculous. We talked about that, born of a virgin. 
Um, but his growing up is relatively normal. We don't have a whole lot of stories. We only got one small story of him as a, as a youth. Um, and even that, it's not a miraculous event. He, he didn't go around doing miracles as a child for all his, his little friends in Nazareth. You know, there was books written later. Called, they're called the Apocrypha that do talk about Jesus doing miracles as a, a child. One of them is known as the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. But these are written hundreds of years after Jesus. They weren't, they weren't like part of the, the story. They're kind of things people made up later. But in, in that book, it says Jesus will make clay birds and then bring them to life and they fly away. That, that'd be a cool thing to do. Um, but he also strikes dead a playmate who gets him mad. So you don't want to mess with uh, that Jesus in that story. So those aren't real. Uh, we believe Jesus lived a normal human life because that's part of the point, that he became one of us and lived like us. And it's only when his time had come, at around the age of 30, that's when he begins doing these, these miraculous events. Before he actually starts doing miracles, three things happen. One is, he comes to a man named John and is baptized. In fact, John becomes known as John the Baptist. So he's dunked in water as part of a, a sign that, that, that is time. In conjunction with that, it says that the Holy Spirit from God descends upon him, um, indicating that he is, you know, the Son of God. And so, and he's empowered by God. And then, before that, he's led by that spirit into the desert to face a time of testing. Sometimes it's called temptations, the temptation of Christ. The, the word in Greek temp, is temptation or testing is the same word. So it kind of depends on how you think of it. What I would suggest is that testing time is key to understanding the parameters for which Jesus would use his miracles. And the devil would tempt Jesus to use his spiritual powers, his miracles, in a way that's outside of God's plan. A way that, that wasn't faithful to what God wanted to do. And so the first thing Satan asks him to do, and tells him to do, or challenges him to do, is to turn stone into bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days in the desert, so he was hungry. And he says, go ahead, turn that stone into bread. You can do it. You know, and Jesus says, no, um, the bread was given. Uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And, but basically, if you step back, what's he saying? You can use your miracle working powers for your own benefit, right? You can use those powers to make life easier, to do things for yourself. What I would suggest is Jesus did not use his miracles for himself only for the good and benefit of others. The second temptation, um, and I'm going by Luke's order. The Gospel of Matthew is a different order. But in Luke's order, the second temptation is the devil says, worship me and I will give you uh, power. I will give you the rule over all the kingdoms. Um, and Jesus says, you know, nope, not going to do that. Worship God alone, not, not you, not anything other than God. But again, if you, you think about what he's saying, he's saying, Satan's saying to Jesus, if you do things my way, you can be a ruler over the, the political powers of this world. Just, 
you know, Satan knows how the power politics works. And Jesus could use his miracles to gain, to gain power rather than the route God would have him go. And Jesus would not do it. He did not use his, his miracles against his opponents. He never used them to harm someone. In fact, when one of his disciples took a uh, sword to the ear of, of one of the guys trying to arrest Jesus, Jesus not only stopped him, but healed the man's ear. Right? He would not use his miracle power to gain political status. He would not even use it to defend himself when he, when he was under threat. The third uh, thing that the devil tempted him to do was to jump. Off. He took him to the high point of, of the temple in Jerusalem. High point on the, the temples on a mountain. And he said, you know, if you're the son of God, you can jump off this and you won't be injured. You, you know, God says he'll protect you and you can just, you just come down. It'd be kind of like pulling an Iron Man, right? How did Iron Man always show up? He'd like, you know, do that, that thing. Like, think of what would happen. Temple, very busy, lots of people. If all of a sudden Jesus showed up, you know, and landed like that, that'd be a pretty easy way to get a following. That would make life a heck of a lot easier. But Jesus would not use his miracles to impress the crowd. In fact, most of the time, he tried to withdraw from the crowd to, to keep him kind of quiet in how he would do them. So I believe, I, I would suggest that these, this temptation time set the parameters by which Jesus would and would not do these miracles. Afterwards, after this time of testing in the desert, he comes out and that's when he begins to do his work. He, he would go from town to town. He started up in the area of Galilee and, and he would begin to do these miraculous powers. But what would he not do them for? He would not use them for his own benefit. He, he, you know, he wouldn't feed himself, but he did use his miracles to feed 5,000 people when, when a crowd had gathered. In fact, he did it twice. He did it another time, it was 4,000 people. So he would multiply bread and fish to feed others, but he wouldn't change stones to bread for himself. He would not use these miracles to win over the crowd. Instead, he, he would often withdraw from the crowd to do a miracle or say, don't tell anyone, it's not yet time. He would not use his miracles to convince the skeptics. But if there was a seed of faith, if, there was someone, if someone was seeking God and God's answer, he was willing to help them to intervene. He would not use them to harm his opponents. Now, one time he did curse a fig tree and caused it to like shrivel and die in a day. But that was to make a, a point, a teaching point for his disciples. Now, I know sometimes I talk about that, but see, oh, that poor tree, you know, you know, they feel bad for the tree, like, why did Jesus do that? How many of you killed a tree so you can have decorations for Christmas, right? So, anyways, um, he would not use his miracles to gain political power or to defend himself before the authorities. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the man who would ultimately give the order to execute Jesus. Jesus didn't do a show, didn't do a little, hey, let me show you, you know, let me show you who I am. In fact, he says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants 
would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. No, my kingdom is from another place. Jesus came to build the kingdom of God, not just gain popularity. And so his miracles were not going to be a shortcut to what God was doing in people's lives. There were three reasons he did do miracles. And that's, I want to kind of go through those three as we we kind of continue on this morning. The first is the miracles flowed from his compassion and concern for hurting people. When someone came who was in need, who was um, hurting and sick, um, so there's, I want to offer four kinds of miracles he did, four categories. Um, if you look at the Gospel of Mark versus chapters 4 and 5, you'll see all four of these ultimately come up in a row. But So one of them, one of the main kinds of he did is healing. So there, there are times when he would just be at a house, and every, it says everyone, they brought all the sick to him. Right? Everyone who, who was hurting or sick would come, and Jesus gave them each time and would heal them all. The second kind of, of miracle he would do is really just an extreme version of healing. It's restoration of life. There were a few times where someone had, had died, usually died fairly recently, um, and Jesus would, would actually bring them back, to restore them to life. The, the young girl is one of the stories in that. I think that's in Mark 4 or 5. And now, just to be clear, this is different from what would happen to him at the resurrection. A restoration of life, the person would come back and live the rest of their life normally. A resurrection was being raised to a completely new kind of life. That's a whole different topic. Um, But in his life, so Jesus would do that a few times. The third kind of miracle he would do would be a nature miracle that demonstrated his power over the created world. These are almost always only seen by the disciples. So one of the most famous ones is is Jesus calming the storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee or turning water into wine. It shows that, that the same one who gave us this created world was now at work, was now there in person. The fourth kind of miracle, actually, is one, one of the most common, but the stories are, are less, they're just described more briefly. It's that of spiritual cleansing, or what we might call exorcism. Jesus cast out unclean spirits, or demonic powers, that were ruling over the lives of people. And it, it seemed like, in that day, there, there was something going on in the spiritual lives. There's so many people were being oppressed by these spiritual powers. Now, in our modern times, we sometimes dismiss that as just mental health issues. And certainly with some of the miracles, there could be mental health issues also involved. But we really believe there is an enemy to God who is oppressing people. And Jesus alone had the authority to free people from that influence. He hated the idea that people would be trapped by God's enemy and he came to set us free. So all of those miracles came because of Jesus' care for people and concern for hurting people. The second reason, and these often are both in play, is Jesus did miracles as a response to faith. People came to him because they believed God was working through him and they wanted wanted God's answer. 
They, they had tried other things that couldn't heal them. And now in Jesus, they, they saw one who could bring God's answer for their life, God's healing for their life. And Jesus would tell them, you've received this because of your faith. Um, one time, he was actually in his hometown, and, and it, he couldn't, it says he couldn't do many miracles. Let me read it from Mark 6. It says he could not perform any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few of the sick and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Because the people of that town weren't, weren't seeking God, they weren't able to experience these kinds of miracles. Now, that's Mark, how he described it. And I'll, I'll note Mark says he could not perform. Uh, Matthew kind of clarified in, when he wrote of the same instance, he did not perform. It's, it's not that Jesus lacked the power and couldn't do it because he didn't have the power. It's that Jesus chose to, to do miracles, and the God led him to do, only do miracles in response to faith. So it wasn't a lack of power. It was their faith that mattered. The intent of miracles was to lead people to put their faith in God Almighty and develop a lasting faith. Jesus didn't want to just heal their body knowing that they one day would still get sick and die again. He wanted people to be drawn into a relationship with, with God Almighty, God the Father. And you think, well, doesn't all miracles lead us to, to lasting faith? Wouldn't, if God was doing miracles, wouldn't that lead us to believe? You'd think, but it actually doesn't always work that way. In fact, it, if you look at the miracles of the Bible as a whole— Oftentimes, people who experience miracles didn't come to lasting faith. So, so if, I know we have engineers here, right? We like to chart things, you know, engineers, you know. But, so what if you, if you tried to chart all the miracles of God in the Bible? And guess what? I looked in Google, someone did it. So there's on your screen. Um, and so I, I, w- I was thinking about, now, when I'm talking about miracle, I'm, God works in different ways. Sometimes he works by coincidences and stuff. By miracle, I'm talking about when God breaks the normal rules, right? You know, God set up this world with certain rules. God is able to break those rules and do things that that can override in a visible way. So there are three main times, I would suggest, where you see miracles happening. A a bunch of, you'd have three peaks. Uh, I I talked with Nick and he suggested there'd be a fourth peak, which would be the, the prophet Daniel, and he's right, it shows up on the thing. I'm going to ignore that one because I think that's only a couple miracles. But Moses and the Exodus, that was a big time when you saw, in fact, God's power was more visibly demonstrated than any other time in the Bible because God appeared as a pillar of cloud and fire. They literally saw God's presence doing things and and parting the the Red Sea. So more people saw God do more amazing things in that time. Did that lead the people of Israel to really trust the Lord? Not if you read the story. They grumbled. They they said, oh man, it'd be better if we're back in Egypt, right? And they they kept rebelling against God's plan. And so they saw these miracles, but it did not lead to lasting faith. The other time is that of Elijah and Elisha. And we did the story of Elijah. And we, if you remember, if you were here then, we, he did some incredible miracles. The biggest one is he prayed and God sent fire down in front of the big 
crowd of people, all of Israel gathered, and fire uh, burn up the sacrifice that, that Elijah had set up. Did that lead to faith? Well, it did in the moment, right? Because they, they, oh yeah, the Lord is God. They, they, all, they all believed in that moment, but the moment went away. And the moment was gone. And they eventually went back to worshiping the false gods of Baal. So just seeing miracles does not necessarily lead someone to really believe in God if, if there's not at least a seed of faith in which to build on. So Jesus, he did his miracles in a way that, w- that would, if someone was seeking God's answer, he was ready. Even if they weren't part of the people of Israel. In fact, he tended to comment on people's faith. It, w- it would surprise them. One of which is the, the woman known as the Syrophoenician woman. She was not Israelite, but her daughter was uh, possessed by a demon, and she came to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, I don't have time to go to your home and, and deal with this, and says, I don't, I don't need that. I only need a crumb of your time, and you can heal my daughter. She had such faith that Jesus was amazed and said, go in peace. It is done. The other time Jesus was amazed at someone's faith was, again, someone who wasn't Israelite. It was the Roman centurion. Who, who, who wanted a miracle for his, his servant who was, who was dying and greatly sick. And, and so he sent someone to Jesus, and Jesus was coming to his house and says, you don't need to come to my house. I, I know you're a man of power. You can give the order, and it will be done. And Jesus said in response to this, he says, when he heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following me, he said, I tell you, I've not, such, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So again, Jesus would be amazed sometimes when people did show faith because so oftentimes he didn't see that. There was one time where Jesus healed, I believe he healed out of compassion where there wasn't real faith. And it's the lame man in John chapter 5. And if you read how that plays out, this man ends up ratting out Jesus to the, the, his opponents, to his enemies, rather than, than seeming to make a life change for the good. So I think that's why Jesus tended to heal, he, not even out of compassion, unless there was at least a seed of faith. I, I, I'm going to skip through a point a little bit, but the, I'll just give you the, the gist of it. What the miracles Jesus did are in continuity with the Old Testament miracles, right? They show that, that he, a lot of the things he did are, are, are things similar to what was done in the Old Testament. There is one thing he didn't do from the Old Testament, though. No plagues. You know, where the plagues were meant to convince Egypt to, 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 to let the people go. Jesus did not curse, except for the fig tree. He did not curse. He did not send plagues. Jesus came to bless he turned water into wine to bless a wedding ceremony. He did not come to curse. The miracles demonstrated that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior. They were not to win over the skeptic, but they were to build the faith of those who were turning to God. So my third reason Jesus did miracles was as a sign for the disciples to trust him and follow as his disciple. And that gets to our story that 
that Kate read about the, the, on the fishing boats. So Jesus started doing his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. It says Lake of Gennesaret. It's, that's just another term. The Sea of Galilee, it really is just a big lake, not a sea. But it, so it has different names. And Jesus went to where people were living. He went to the seaside. He, he would do occasionally give messages in like the religious places like the synagogue or the temple. But he tended to get out where people were living life, doing his work there. I think there's something we, as we do our work here at East Glenville, we need to consider that, and I know there's at least one group that does a Bible study at uh, the breakfast place. I think the, the, one of the diners, right? Maybe we need to do, do more of our stuff outside the church building where people are living and looking for ways to do that because that's what Jesus did. Um, get the message outside the building where we can. So Jesus was teaching and he'd drawn a crowd. There's something about him, the way he taught people wanted to hear. The crowd was so much pressing in on him that, that he needed a platform. And he saw some fishing boats and he took advantage of those and he borrowed the boat of a man named Simon and used that as a, a, fish, as a preaching platform. Well, Simon wasn't using it at the moment because he and his friends had fished all night long and they'd come up empty. So there they are, they're done, you fish at night, it's better fishing. During the day, he was just cleaning his nets, probably hoping to go home and go to bed, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, and so Jesus is there teaching, and these, these fishermen, Simon and some of his friends, we find out later it's Andrew, um, we find out uh, there's also James and John, our, our partners, and that they work together. When Jesus is done teaching, he looks at Simon and says, hey, let's, let's, let's go out into deep water and put out the nets for a catch. And Simon's like, you mean the nets we just got finished cleaning? Those nets? You mean go out where we were last night and didn't catch a thing? Like, you want us to go do what? Now, Simon is respectful. I mean, Jesus is obviously a, a teacher and you know, so he, he doesn't, but, but he says, Master, we've toiled all night long and took nothing. Do you really want us to do this? And here's where there was a seed of faith. He says, but at your word, we'll do it. That's really what you say. All right, we'll follow through on this. And I just wonder if Simon, even if he wasn't paying too much attention, picked up something out of what Jesus is saying, enough to say, this guy, this guy has something worth saying. So, I don't know, it, it's hard to know, but he does it. And so they go out, and here, here's where it's, it's the surprise of their life. So Simon and his friends, they toss out their nets, thinking they're just going to get what they got all the time before, and instead their nets are so full, they can hardly get the fish in the boat and they, they signal to others to come over, that would be James and John. Hey, come help us. We, and they, they didn't fill just one boat. They filled two boats. And, and they could barely get it in. And all the time, I, I just imagine Simon looks up and there's, there's Jesus just smiling. Right? Yeah, yeah. They know this is not natural. They know that a super 
supernatural event has taken place. They've done fishing enough to see that, that this does not happen apart from God's intervention, that there's a power at work. In fact, it's, it scares Simon. Right? When Simon Peter saw it, says he fell at Jesus' feet. He's, he, he's not sure how to respond. And he says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we don't know if Simon meant something specific by that. Was he talking about his initial skepticism? Was there something in his life that was especially sinful that he felt? Um, it, there's a bit of a mystery, but I get this. You see, I think when God shows up, when God's hand is at work, that, that there is a humbling aspect to that. There is a sense of awe and humility. I'll share one point that, that I, I really saw that. And, and I'll say, I've not seen a, a miracle like with glowing, obviously, you, where I can testify, you know, I saw it incredible thing like the Bible talks about, but I have seen God's hand at work in some amazing ways that are, I know he did it. One time at a previous church, we, we knew we needed to do better at reaching out and reaching young adults. And so we decided to hire, I kind of convinced the church that we need to hire um, a young adult to be an outreach coordinator and to help us try to reach these certain areas. And we had someone in mind who was moving to the area potentially involved. This was someone just out of college. And so here's the thing, though. It, that, that amount of money was not in our budget. We were barely making budget as it was as a church. And so there were some reserves. And they were very hesitant to use the reserves, but we thought, we, we felt God was leading us to do this. So we, we set up, we met with the, the young woman who we, we hired, and the, the head of the board... Rick met with her, her name is Hillary, um, and said, you know, talked about like what it would take for her to be able to come. And the idea was that she would only work half time for the church. She would also get a, a second job so she'd be in the community. But, um, and we had a place for her to stay. So it was all lined up. But, but so Rick met with her and decided that we would give her $20,000, that that would be what we would help with, you know, for, for her to do this. And, um, I remember hearing about that the next day, and then the next morning after that in the office, guy walks in. I'd done a funeral for his, his wife, his mother. He's, he wasn't a member, um, and basically he came in with a $20,000 check. And it was like kind of her last gift based on her estate, and the funeral had been a few months before. And I'm, and I'm like... God was honoring that step of faith we'd taken. And I, I just, I sat down in awe that it's real. That this stuff, that, 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 that God, God does it. <laughs> right? We, I don't see that all the time, but man, when God's hand's at work. So I get how, how Peter responded this way. Um, because he knew this is real. Jesus came into my life where I work, and he did something only the power of God could do. Right? He came into his home territory, and he did a miracle where he could see God is breaking into this world. 
A miracle is an event where the divine breaks into the normal human realm, where something supernatural is brought into the natural order of things. And it makes sense. If God was sending his son into this world, that he would do things around Jesus that says, hey, you guys need to pay attention to this. This is, this is real. Miracles are inherent to Christianity. Right? You, you can't have Christianity without miracles. It's not just some philosophical idea, right? It's not just some nice teachings that will help us live. We believe the supernatural has broken into the, the, the natural. At Christmas is the supernatural creator of the universe breaking into our world, entering, stepping into human history at a specific time and place as part of a larger plan of salvation that has been unfolding for centuries. Miracles are key to understanding that this is real. Because if it's real, we need to build our life on it. We're called to make a bet. So those disciples, what did they do when they, they saw the miracle of the, the fish? They began following Jesus. In fact, they left their boats behind and began going with Jesus from town to town. They bet their life that it was true. One of the later disciples, Thomas, he didn't, he didn't get to see that miracle. And he wasn't there when there, the, the resurrection had taken place, when Jesus first appeared. And so he, he came to a spot where, where like they told him that Jesus is raised from the dead. And he's like, I don't know if I can believe that based on what you guys say. And then Jesus appeared to him and said, you know, Thomas had said, I want to I touch his hands um, touch where the nail parts went, and, and Jesus says, I'm here, Thomas. The risen Jesus appeared to him, and Thomas then said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said in response, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his books, but these are written. These are written that you, and that's you now as us, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The disciples bet their lives on Jesus Christ. And despite all the hardships and challenges and persecution and opposition, I, I guarantee you each one of them to say he was worth it. Are you ready to bet your life on Jesus Christ? That this holiday that we celebrate about a baby being born is so much more than that. It is a call to follow him, to build our life on him. The natural view says, I know how to run my life. I know the things I should do. I can make my own way in this world. But when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you acknowledge that he is your king, you're saying, he knows better how to run my life. I will trust and obey and follow him. Are you ready to bet your life on Jesus Christ? Is he worthy of following? Is he worthy of all our worship? Is he worthy of giving our life to? I invite you to just stand and let's declare that he is worthy this morning.